This is The Think Tank with Dr. Mike O'Neill, talking about the major political, economic, and social issues of the week. KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. The Think Tank. Well, we're going to talk about what's happening in our schools, always in the matter of public discussion and public concern. Uh, We have an epidemic. Are the schools open? Are they closed? Are kids being taught in person? Are they being taught remotely? Two guests who can speak not only as practicing teacher, but they each they, they each wear uh, multiple hats. Beth Lewis teaches in the Telby Elementary School uh, uh, District. You may recognize her name as a leader in the Save Our School movement, which successfully passed a proposition to impose a new income tax surcharge on very high income taxpayers and earmark the revenue for schools. Senator now, Christine Marsh, was the 2016 Teacher of the Year. She teaches sixth through eighth grade uh, gifted in Scottsdale, and uh, you are also still teaching. But later on, we will maybe talk in little detail about how you managed to juggle all of that and and, uh, what really looks like two full-time responsibilities. Beth, I want to talk to you, but I see you are muted. There we go. Okay. I want to start uh, and ask both of you. Uh, I'll start with Beth uh, and, uh, and ask Christine also unmute yourself here. What's it? What? What's it? Paint me a picture. What's going on in the schools right now in terms of mode of education? First of all, you're open. Yes. Yes. The schools are open. Yes. To what extent are you in person versus online? What's it I like, like that you, yeah, I love that you clarify that. I think, you know, sometimes people use this word closed when, when we're online and it's really important to communicate to people that we are very much open for learning and our kids are really moving mountains and so are our teachers. Um, I currently am teaching online. My whole school is online because you know, numbers in Tempe are very high, but I'm a half-time COVID teacher. Numbers. COVID numbers. Yeah, but okay. I'm a half-time teacher right now, and I'm working almost full-time. So I really can't imagine what full-time teachers are doing. I really can't underscore the um, the amount of extra hours that we're putting in today. You know, just as an example, <laughs> my technology um malfunctioned about 14 times during my morning math lesson. I had seven tabs open running small groups. Um, by the time I was done with my first math lesson, I, I felt the stress that a normal person I think feels after an entire day's work, you know, and we're really, we're lifting a lot of heavy loads. We have, um, even when our schools are virtual, we have children on site. We're providing special education services online. We're providing um, small group and interventions school-wide. They still have specials. So my daughter, (laughs) I'm a mom too, my daughter has PE every Tuesday morning at 1030. And I know this because my walls start to shake behind me (laughs) because she's jumping around so much and having so much fun. And we're still providing meals and and community resources and broadband access. So we're very much personally teaching a class that's your classes are 100 percent online right now. Yes. Have they been that way since September? We did go back in person for hybrid for about five weeks in um, after fall break. So in October and November before the pandemic spiked. Does hybrid mean you had some kids in class and others remote at the same time? Yes. Ouch. Not half. That has got to be tricky. 
It was, you know, it was, it was very much like, okay, kids at home, why don't you guys talk to each other for a few while we all do hand washing procedures? Cause that's going to take us 15 minutes. And yeah, it, it was very tough. Christine, your is is that your story as well, or is your is your school in Scottsdale uh, in at a different state? Well, the it's very tough part is uh, the same, but we have been uh, we've been hybrid since let's see early September, early to mid September. So that means that uh, we have mostly in person kids, but we also then do have kids virtually who would have been in that class or who are in that class, uh, you know, if they were to come in person. Uh, so it's uh, particularly because, you know, when Beth mentions the tech issues, I joke with my students, but I'm so not joking that I am just dying for the time when I can have just two back-to-back -back days with no tech issues. And that has not happened yet. Um, so yeah, so we've, uh, and it, across our district, it's been a little bit varied. My district, um, you know, based on site, you know, the, the individual school really wanted to go back in person and, you know, staff and families thought we could pull it off. Uh, so that's, that's where we are, but across the district, it's a little bit different as I know, we all know across the state, it's. It's very, uh, it really depends on the school and the community and the district itself on whether schools are virtual 100% in person or some kind of a hybrid mode like uh, my school is doing. First, a technical issue for bo both of you and maybe more so uh, for Beth because I know you have a bigger lower income population. Were they able to get computers and internet for all the kids in your classes? Yeah, I'm, I'm in a lucky situation in that um, Tempe taxpayers have been funding bonds and overrides for years consistently. So we were already a one-to-one -one computing school, which meant that every student already had a Chromebook assigned to them. So um, it just became a matter of distributing them to go home. And then we were able to um, ensure broadband access for all students. And we worked with some of the communications companies to fill in the gaps. Um, but I know that that's just not the case for so many others and we know that Frankly, our state legislature has abdicated their duty to fund schools to such a level that the only reason my school was able to to accomplish this was because of bonds and overrides. Mm -hmm. Christine, your case? The, um, do the kids yeah. all have computers and internet access? And yes, what did it take we, to uh, get there? We have a lot of uh, Title I students and schools. I mean, my district is very diverse and uh, we, I think, were very fortunate as well that the district is able to go one-to-one. -one. Uh, we've given out hotspots to families that need it. Uh, we've increased the number of computers like that each family can have uh, because there were you know, too many kids needing one or two computers. Uh, so yeah, I, I wish that the rest of the state had the kind of resources that my students have and that Beth's students have, but we know that's not the case where they don't have the technology, they don't have the broadband, uh, they don't have potentially the ability to stay home with parents working. I mean, really, if anything, 
uh, good comes out of this pandemic, I'm really thinking and hoping that it's going to be that on a societal level, we're going to really recognize the inequities that exist amongst our students to a, on a broader and deeper degree than we ever have before. We'll be back with Beth Lewis and Christine Mars talking about our schools in the think tank when we return in just a moment. on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. Uh, we're talking to Beth Lewis and Christine Mars, teachers in our local schools. Beth, you're teaching in an elementary school. And while you yourself teach at the upper level of the elementary school, um, I mean, I assume your fellow teachers, right, in your environment, I'm, I'm wondering how low, how early a grade can you teach remotely and have any degree of uh, success at all? That's a really good question. I mean, I think if if we're being honest with ourselves, I think kindergartners are really probably not getting what they need. I have um, a kindergarten buddy class and, and they are wonderful. And I think they are getting, you know, great um, like social emotional things and, and friendships. And they are, the kindergarten teachers are amazing, but it's just, it's, it's hard to learn how to read when you're not there with a child. So, you know, I know that there's a lot of talk of um, investing in additional tutoring and summer school, but I, I hope that, you know, the real talk is about investing in fully funded kindergarten next year so we can <clears throat> really, you know, make sure that anybody who needs to be caught up in kindergarten in particular can get what they need. Well, you used an interesting phrase there, invest in fully funded kindergarten. Is kindergarten not fully funded right now? No, in Arizona, we're only about half funded. So they fund a half day. And so a lot of people will say, but the kindergarten at my school is free. And what they don't realize is that, um, you know, we do provide full day kindergarten, but that comes out of other budgets. So you may wonder, why don't we have an art teacher? Why do we share a music teacher or a counselor with four other schools? So the principal decided to allocate it to another half day for kindergarten and rob something else. Well, and it's not even at a principal level. It's usually at a district level. And every district, you know, knows that they have to fund full-day kindergarten. I mean, that's a necessity in the 21st century. It's absolutely criminal and short-sighted that we do not fund full-day kindergarten in Arizona. Uh, I stand corrected. I thought Napolitano was governor when we did that. But maybe it was done and taken away. Mm -hmm. uh, Let me ask both of you this question. Okay. In this environment... Are the kids learning? How much, how, how much are we giving up here? Are we going to be in trouble next year? Assuming we go back in September, you know, are these kids getting a full year's worth of education? I'll take that one and then hand off to Beth. I, I think we have to remember that every kid in the world is in the same situation. So when people talk about falling behind or, you know, those type, those, that type of rhetoric, it's super annoying to me because 
falling behind what? Behind some artificial test? Uh, so, but yes, I do think kids are learning. Are they learning at the same academic level that they were pre-pandemic? Uh, probably mostly not, but I'm sure some are. Uh, and a lot of that is likely not just the turmoil within the schools, but, uh, you know, the emotional turmoil. I mean, you know, even my kids who are in class are facing um, higher, the highest levels of anxiety that I've really ever seen in kids. But yes, they are learning. <laughs> yeah, well, when you see people walking around in masks, I guess it's even a little more immediate than it was ducking under a desk doing nuclear drills. Yeah. So I may ask you personally, do you feel, have you, have you been, did you got prioritized for shots? Have you both gotten shots? Yeah, our first round. Yeah, I've gotten my first round. And, and have most of your colleagues gotten shots as well? Yes. Yes. So something worked there. Yeah. And I mean, I just like to add, I see with my own students and with the students in my school that kids are learning. I have a lot of teacher friends who have shared with me sort of their benchmark test results, district things, just to sort of say like, oh, phew, the kids are doing well. Christine is absolutely right. There's no benchmark they have to hit. But we, of course, as teachers have that fear, you know, if they're completely missing learning. And it's it's really not happening. Um, my students didn't know how to multiply, divide, or recognize a fraction at the beginning of this year, and they are knocking it out of the park. So it has nothing to do with me, everything to do with them but they are working really hard and learning a lot. And, you know, they're learning life skills of perseverance and cooperation and coming together as a society to, you know, <laughs> survive a pandemic. And they're gonna remember this forever. And, you know, they're watching all of us. And I hope that they're learning that we do need to come together as a society. What do you think they're most missing from, from not being in person there? Play hanging out with their friends in a way that they are used to hanging out with their friends, like, you know, rough and tumble and being very close and sharing secrets. I mean, it's a, to some extent changed what friendships look like. I don't think in the long term it will, but in the immediate time that we're in, it's really changed what friendships look like amongst um, our kids. Well, this is a virtual generation to begin with, isn't it? I mean, they're talking with a generation who kind of used to live on their phones probably more so than ever. This is true, but kids are kids and kids still, um, you know, when they're together, putting their heads together and, you know, littler kids holding hands. I mean, they're still, yes, they're, they're virtual, but they are still kids and that physical contact is still to some extent part of their lives. on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. We're 
we're talking to educators, Beth Lewis and Senator Christine Marsh, uh, who both of whom are currently teaching, as well as doing other th- things. Uh, I wanted to turn the topic to educational policy issues. We've talked about your actual experiences in the classroom. Um, Christine, you were down at the legislature. The governor delivered a state of the state budget, uh, followed by a budget. Uh, um, What's your take on the educational component of that? There was, and particularly given Prop 208 and the earmarking of additional funds for education. Now they're not supposed to, uh, they're not supposed to do anything compensatory to uh, alter the will of the voters. Is any of that happening? And what's your take on the adequacy of the governor's budget? Well, I think it's a bit, I don't know, insulting, offensive that, you know, I mean, the last thing we need right now basically is more tax cuts. And that's what we have. I mean, we need to get some COVID relief, some pandemic relief out to our families and our businesses and our schools certainly need a great deal of funding uh, and I will, there is a little bit of that in the governor's budget, but uh, not enough. I would like to see more. Uh, I'd like to see more aid to the people who are really struggling in this state, which is basically almost everybody right now. And especially, of course, um, our kids and our most vulnerable populations. But a $1.2 billion in tax cuts uh, uh, just to me, seems like such incredibly bad timing. Well, especially since when you, the rules you have in this state, we voted in some years ago a provision that seemed to make sense at the time, which is you need a supermajority to ever raise taxes. You never will get that. So that means if you ever, ever cut taxes, that is a permanent state of affairs other than by initiative. So it's it's asymmetric. You can't cut one year, decide you overdid it, and just put it back the next year. The cut is easy to get. That's 51%. The putback, you'll never get. Correct. So. And that's part of the frustration that I think so many of us in the state have felt for literally decades. I mean, we've had 30 years of tax cuts mm-hmm. in Arizona, minus like two years out of that 30 year block of time. So, and it's incredibly frustrating for exactly what you just said. We need Prop Prop 108 forced, uh, means that we need a two thirds majority to raise any taxes, but we can cut them with a simple majority. And let's face it, given the composition of the legislature, you will never get a two thirds majority for anything. It's just not gonna happen. Well. You're probably correct. (laughs) I've got a little more hope than never, but uh, you're realistically, you are correct. You've got more than a third of the legislature who was elected on an absolute total promise of no new taxes ever for anything. Well, yeah, I didn't. That tells you how how high the bar is. Yeah. Yeah. So, Beth, question to you, and this is in your save our schools hat as much as anything. Voucher expansion. I seem to see that in the governor's messaging. Um, please weigh in. Please start with what are vouchers. And didn't the voters weigh in on that issue recently? 
Yes, you you have a longer memory than the governor and our legislature, apparently. Uh, Two years ago, Arizonans rejected voucher expansion. So vouchers are are private school vouchers. Um, So subsidies for private school that are taken from our public school funding. Now, we all know in this conversation, but I want to make a point that Arizona is dead last in education funding. You get about $5,000 less per kid than the national average. So we are billions of dollars short. We're number 50 even after Prop 208. Yes. Well, Prop 208 won't be collected for at least a year because it's being held up in court by um, all of the people we've already mentioned. And oh, so you don't, you don't have that money this year? Oh, no. No. And, oh. and you know, we hope to get it uh, by maybe 2022. But even so, that's only, you know, a critical first step, maybe a fourth of what we need. Um, so we're, we're at this critical point. Our classrooms are in crisis. We have very little funding. And instead of listening to voters who passed Prop 208 to support public schools and rejected private school vouchers, the Arizona legislature is doubling down. Um, right now, there's this huge kitchen sink omnibus bill that is trying to push through um, actually a little bit of a property tax. So back to what you mentioned, they're trying to sort of play this shell game where now we're going to fund private school vouchers through um, a different method. It's going right out of uh, the state fund instead of the general fund. And so it may actually impact in areas where um, the state doesn't give aid to school districts. It may raise property taxes, Uh, but it's a massive voucher expansion. It is written in such a way that they can say that it supports low-income students, but it doesn't because, in fact, it's so broad that it's going to be applicable to 700,000 new Arizona students. So we're talking to, about... Just some simple arithmetic. The If I take my kid and put him in Brophy, uh, how, how much do I get in the way of a voucher? Uh, it depends on your child, depends if they have special needs, et cetera. But the Just average run of the mill average kid knows nothing about six thousand dollars. Yeah. Their tuition we, is twice that, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Actually, almost three times that. So I, I got it. So I have to be able to come up with another six to ten thousand dollars. In order to go there, even with the state voucher, which means it's not going to poor kids. Right. And, you know, in terms of taxpayers, I think, you know, we we really like to invest in local district schools because there is transparency and accountability of those funds with private schools. There's zero transparency. They don't have to explain how they use that money, what the curriculum is, um, any of that. And, you know, what really is problematic is the the inefficiency of resources. So if you take a taxpayer dollar Right. The most efficient way to use that is to buy into the public system of our public schools that 95 percent of our families choose. This is taking that dollar, giving it to a private school. Right. No transparency, no accountability and taking away that funding from our public system. Also, if you've already got a school there and I leave with my kid and you have one less kid in the school, we really haven't reduced the cost of running the school by a nickel. 
I think that's what people really don't understand. There's sort of this like mantra out there that the money should follow the child, but that's just not how it works, right? Like anybody who runs a business knows if you're running an ice cream shop, you need a roof over your head. You need, you know, attendance to scoop the ice cream. You need supplies. Um, same with the school. You know, if four kids leave, there's no appreciable difference in busing, food, custodial workers, right? All of the things that go into running a, a well-functioning school. You lose four kids, you lose a teacher. There's a whole classroom of kids that don't have a teacher. But but in reality, in order to get one less teacher, to, to need one less teacher, you'd have to have 20 or 25 kids leave. Right. So. Um, Can I just add on to, please. I just want to emphasize something that Beth said to make sure people caught it. So this new uh, voucher uh, will levy taxes, levy property taxes in some districts, and that money, our local property taxes will be going potentially far away. I mean, out of the community, potentially the other side of the city. I mean, and I, I think that's... Um, I don't think voters uh, are going to like that. I don't think voters are going to like that idea that their own property taxes are going to not fund their own community, but you know, uh, stuff happening across the city or across you know wherever, just not in their own community. But transparency, will they even know? No, there is nothing written in the bill to make sure that that happens. Mm -hmm. Well, the districts will know. The people yeah. who live in certain districts will realize that they are paying property taxes. Again, I guess it depends on if we blast it out. I mean, because they're not going to, but there will be um, there there will be certainly some voters who do know. Well, a, a school board will know. Uh, an administrator who has to figure out how to how to maintain a budget with less coming in will know. Individual parents, that's that's one degree removed. The school will still be open. That's going to be very that that not very transparent in terms of making it obvious to uh, uh, to a parent that that their schools had less resources because of that. Right. And it's important to note for people that that don't follow this very closely. We already give away three hundred million dollars to private schools every year. We're already subsidizing. 300 million Arizona taxpayer dollars to private schools. That's 6% of our budget and only 5% of kids go to private schools. Since we started doing vouchers, has there been any increase in the number of kids going to private schools? Or Because no. where there's really no savings to the state is these kids were going to private schools anyway. <laughs> Right. That's why the Grand Canyon Institute did a really great study a couple of years back and said that we're actually paying, what is it, 75% more than the cost of a public school student because exactly what you just said, we're subsidizing kids that were already going to go to private school. There theoretically might be some savings if there's an incremental kid who leaves. But as you, as you explained, it, even that is elusive. But if it was somebody going to private school anyway, there's not a nickel of savings because they weren't in the system to begin with. Right. We'll return for final segment. I'm going to talk to Christine Marsh about uh, uh, an issue close near and dear to her heart, as well as maybe get a little insight into uh, what it's like to be a first time legislator when we return in just a moment in the think tank. Look away. 
Chicken bone, and I think I'm half insane. More, look at what they've done to my song. The Think Tank, KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. We've been talking to educators, uh, Beth Lewis and Christine Marsh. Christine is also a newly elected state senator. I did a little bit of arithmetic and looking into this, by the way, you know, Christine, in your election, a total of 250,000 votes were cast in this cycle and the last cycle in your election. The sum of the electoral margins of both races put together are less than a thousand. So we can call you landslide, Chris. <laughs> yes, I think that both both uh, uh, both margins were in three digits, triple digits, and and the sum of the two was in triple. You you even knew how many you lost by. Do you know how many you won by to the to the to the last one? Uh, four ninety three. Uh, you sound a little uncertain about that. You I were am. certain I, about I how many you lost that. by. I don't have it as etched in my brain as the number from the from 2018 when I lost. You I are, think that's perfectly understandable in terms of human human psychology. If you missed, you you know exactly. Hey, what could I have done to have made that? Was it 250 something votes? Or you won seven? You won by more than you lost, though. All right. Yes. So well, that's good. Okay, so. Tell us what it's like. You, you you saw the legislature kind of only from the outside. I don't think you were prior to two or three years ago, you were not directly involved, certainly not with electoral politics. Uh, tell us what it's been like down there. And uh, I don't know, just just give us a little insight into what goes on inside the tent. Well, I've been surprised, honestly, at how uh, how fun it is and how comfortable I feel down there, um, you know, it's, it's a, you're learning, I'm learning, I'll put it in first person. I'm learning constantly new subjects on a deeper level every single day. And as a teacher, I love that, you know, I've always considered myself a lifelong learner and, um, this really, I get to really, uh, flourish in that whole lifelong learning, um, mentality uh, it's you know it's been it's been exciting. Uh, it's as I said, it's been comfortable. It's uh, I really thought coming off of and it was three and a half years of of very hard campaigning. I really thought okay, I gotta fasten my seatbelt because now things are gonna get really hard. Uh, but uh, you know it's a uh, it's different than campaigning and it's easier than campaigning. So that part <laughs> feels. Um, just, you know, it's just really an interesting experience and I've been soaking up every moment of it. Now you get assigned to committees. What is, what committees did you get? I am on education and transportation and technology. That's transportation and technology. Yeah. Education, pause, transportation and technology. And uh, you have an uh, issue that's near and dear to your heart. I, I promise to give you a, a moment or two to talk about that. Yeah, I do. Thank you. Um, and hopefully I can do this without crying. But um, 
My son died in May of an overdose of fentanyl. He was being an, you know, an idiot 25 year old on a weekend night and bought something and it was laced with fentanyl and it killed him. And this was a kid who had just gotten married 18 days ago. He was getting his mechanical engineering degree. Uh, and my bill is to legalize fentanyl testing strips because right now they are illegal. They fall under the category of drug paraphernalia in our statute. And my bill is to legalize the fentanyl testing strips, which a person can use to test a little bit of residue of their drug with a little bit of water before they ingest it. Uh, and I was actually talking just today, um, now I am going to cry, to the prosecutor who is um, prosecuting the young men responsible for my son's death. And he was talking about how often he sees this, how often he sees fentanyl killing young people. And usually because it's been hidden, you know, they're not, they're not necessarily going out and buying fentanyl. They're buying a Percocet or something like that. And it's got fentanyl in it and it's killing them. So the fentanyl testing strips, it's a, it's a small step to mitigate this but I'm trying to raise as much awareness about the issue as possible because I'm guessing that your average person just doesn't realize how much fentanyl is hidden in drugs right now. And it, you know, and it could be somebody even who, you know, for pain relief or whatever is, is buying, um, you know, buying street drugs. I mean, for whatever reason, uh, so I'm, you know, I have high hopes for this. I have high hopes of raising at least um, some level of awareness. Um, I think my son would very much uh, want me to do anything and everything possible to, you know, save another human or however many another what, human. What kind, what kind of reception have you gotten so far? It's been overwhelmingly positive. Um, and I've really, because I've been. Including um, with the majority side. I mean, you're in the minority. Yeah. I close got, minority. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, it has been, I, I got a Republican co-sponsor to go on there with me. Um, but yeah, no, it has been a very, it's been a very positive reception. Um, and that makes me hopeful. I wonder if this might be seen as analogous to uh, needle exchange programs in that that some of the resistance would be, oh, you know, you're making this easy. If you make taking these drugs safer, more people are going to take them. I don't think that holds any water, but I think that would be the argument. Uh, I think it could be, but there is, a, you know, a, a, another bill run by a Republican, by Senator Bartow, actually um, circulating through right now that, you know, deals with some of those issues, deals with some of the harm reduction issues. Uh, I mean, as far as I can see and I've checked, I don't see any unintended consequences. And as a teacher who's been on the receiving end of unintended consequences, and Beth can attest to this, that the legislature, like the teachers are like, oh my God, did you not think this through? Um, I've asked doctors and, you know, harm reduction specialists. And I mean, I can't find any. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see what happens with it. So 
So you have you haven't gotten any pushback on this at all yet? Not yet. Don't say yet. <laughs> I haven't gotten any pushback on this. Until period. it's signed. Uh, yet is hanging out this. there until something is signed. <laughs> <laughs> so um all right, I would get another. Th I'll give you. I'll give you each fifteen seconds. Your thought. Maybe if if you were to add one thing to the budget, one pressing need. You got ten or fifteen seconds each. One pressing need in education. What would the one thing be? I think we need a legislature that will prioritize public education and use their votes to ensure that we are no longer last in the nation in education funding and stop focusing on voucher expansion. Okay, Christine. One thing, well, my one thing would be a big thing, but I would I would reduce class size. And what's the average class size right now? It's the highest in the nation at 23.3, which sounds low, but it's mm -hmm. not because it includes, you know, special ed that might have four kids or gifted that might have five. Um, sure. So it's 23.3 and the national average is 18.3 five or something like that. Big difference. Thank you very much. We're out of time. Christine Marsh, Beth Lewis. We'll see you next week on the Think Tank. By the way, if you want to reach me, my uh, website, michaelneal.org, and that contains link for emails or, or Twitter or Facebook, whatever you want. We'll see you next week in the Think Tank. Look what they done to my brain. Well, they picked it like a chicken bone, and I think I'm half insane, ma. Look at what they've done to my soul.